In the 1930s, two high school boys who happened to be Jewish began writing the story of Superman. Now, being Jewish, they had some heroes in their life. They had a hero named Moses, who they really revered. And as Jewish boys, they were also thinking about the coming Messiah someday. And so they wrote this story that is the man of steel. He fights for truth, justice, and the American way. But if you look at truth and justice, those sound like things that Messiah would come and do. The Jewish Messiah who we believe is Jesus. And very strangely, the story parallels a certain God-man who comes to earth. In fact, even Superman's name is Kal-El, El meaning God. And he is from this house, the house of hope from his, from his, his planet, I guess, right? Crypt, was it Krypton, right? Uh, so, uh, sorry, I, my, my Superman facts are a little bit fuzzy. He's raised by two people that are not his parents, but lovingly raise him. He goes at about age 30 to, well, the Arctic Circle. We'll call it the desert. And spends time getting to know his real father and understanding what his mission in life is. Does this sound familiar at all to you? Most of all, Superman has, among all of the superheroes, seems to have the greatest character. So, what in the world is going on? Why am I talking about Superman this morning? Well, because what if I told you that Jesus, underneath his robes, did not have a Superman S underneath? Many of you believe that he really did. Many of you believe that he actually had superpowers different than us, that he could do things that we couldn't do. What if I told you that nor, Jesus didn't have an S on his chest, nor did he carry superpowers, but he actually did every single thing that he did, walking on water, raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons. What if I told you he did all of those things just by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I look at Philippians 2, and I think this is what this says. Take a look with me. Jesus comes to earth. He sets aside aspects of his divinity. And he depends on the Holy Spirit for the power and the love necessary. This is what Philippians 2 says, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this God-man, if you believe my hypothesis from Philippians 2 and other places, there are things that he chooses not to, he doesn't know the day and the hour of his returning, he says. There's certain things that he's decided to, to 
empty himself of those divine abilities while he's on the earth. Why? So that he would live only by the power of the Holy Spirit, showing us that we could do the same thing. He's actually an example we can follow. It's not like he has an S on his chest. And this is all about following Jesus, to follow him. What does it mean to follow him? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're not following a superhero. We are following a person, a man who was 100% man and 100% God. So we've been going through this new series called Discovering the Mysteries of the Kingdom. Understanding that there's parables and things that Jesus left for his followers to understand and know. They're all right there out in the surface. For those of you who have ears to hear, let you hear what the Spirit says to the church. This morning, we're going to talk about the secret of doing what the Father is doing. So we're going to look at John 5, a few verses in John 5. We're going to see what Jesus says about how he lives. And as a rabbi, what his expectation is for those of us who follow him as his disciples. And it all has to do with copying Jesus. It all has to do with imitating him. And when we see Jesus, when we see what Jesus says about joining his father in the work that he's already doing, I think it's going to begin to clear up some understanding of what God's will is for us. Finally, I just want to end this morning with some prayer that we would begin to discern from the Holy Spirit where God is working more and more and more, that he'd open our eyes that we would see what he's doing in the world so we can join him in the work. So before we go to John 5, we've got to go back to the first century. We got to understand a little bit about the culture that, that was going on there among the Jews. So we've got to go to the back to the context of Judaism and the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. This is what Numbers 15 says. If you were a young person, less than 10 years old, you would have memorized these verses. They say this in Numbers 15, verse 37. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. And you will have these tassels to look at. And so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God and I am the Lord, your God. So God is using tactile things like this prayer shawl, which literally comes from what it says to do in Numbers 15 there. It was something that you would cover your head with as you prayed and as you were in synagogue. It was a way to remember the commands of God by holding on to the tassels at the end, the zitzits. By the way, this is the hem of the garment. This is what the woman who has the issue of blood as she reaches out and touches Jesus' garment and she's, she's healed, she touches these. And as a Jewish man, I would then have a tactile reminder in my hands to obey the commands of the Lord. It was all about the Torah. It was all about understanding and giving your life to it. 
Jewish people instructed their children in the ways of God. Josephus, uh, ancient historian, said this. Above all, we pride ourselves on the education of our children. Education was central in the life of the Jewish community. They knew that if their children didn't get Torah, their word of God deep into their hearts, they would disappear in a generation. And so they took it very seriously. How seriously? Take a look at this quote from the Talmud. Under the age of six, we do not receive a child as a pupil. You get a pass until then. From six upwards, accept him and stuff him with Torah like an ox. Are you six? Great. We're going to start stuffing you like an ox with the Torah. So you would go to Bible school for the first, those first four years, six through 10, and you would memorize the entire Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You would have it memorized. And in order to teach these six and seven-year-olds, they would put a dip of honey on their finger or on their slates that they would use. And the teacher would say, you can lick that honey. And let me tell you that God's word, the Torah is just, it is the most tasty, most precious, most beautiful thing you could ever have. In fact, the idea of honey being the sweetest and most beautiful thing you could eat. The same is true with Torah that you would just stuff yourself with God's word. Now, once you got past six to 10, that first Bet Sefer, you would go to the second school from age about 10 to about 14. And, and this would only be if you did well with the beginning school. The second school, you would memorize the entire rest of the Hebrew scriptures. And you would learn the art of questions and answers. And the best of the best of that group then would apply to be a disciple to follow a rabbi who would then sit you down and say, okay, so you want to be, be my disciple. Great. I've got some questions for you. And they would quiz you. And they might say, how many times is this word in the book of Numbers? Tell me where they are. And you would have to go through. And so these rabbis would be questioning them on their knowledge. But they would also be wondering, do you have the right stuff? Derek, do you have the right stuff to become just like me? And rabbis had a yoke. I promise this is all going to make sense when we get to John 5. Rabbis had a yoke. The yoke, well, we know a yoke for, for animals is just a device that holds two animals together so they can walk together, they can work together, so that the younger animal can learn from the older, more seasoned animal on how to plow the rows or whatnot. So a yoke for a rabbi my goal as a rabbi, let's say I'm a rabbi, is to get as many of you to carry my yoke. And my yoke would be all the rules that I would add to Torah. These are all the things that are under Andrew, Rabbi Andrew's yoke, that would, once you get in my yoke, you would then walk with me and you would learn to become just like me. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He says, I'm not adding a bunch of stuff to the scriptures. He has one command, Jesus, that is to love one another. It's assumed that we're already loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
So this idea of a rabbi would say, I'm going to question you and see if you could take on my yoke. If you could become like me, then I'll take you as my disciple. And after being questioned, and if you're found to be worthy, to be just, become just like me someday, the rabbi would say, come and follow me. There was a Mishnah sage who said this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That you would follow so closely behind the rabbi, you are literally trying to do every single thing that he's doing and the dust from the road is getting all over you because you're following so closely. Imitation, it's all about imitation. It's all about becoming like the rabbi. So you do everything he does. When he raises his hands, it's blessed, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth Fruit of the vine. All of the Talmudim, the, the disciples, blessed, they just, they're watching him and doing the same things. Imitation in all ways. Why? Because the rabbi believes in the Talmudim. He believes that you could do it. He believes that you could be just like him. And as a disciple, you only do what you see your rabbi doing. Now, if you weren't chosen by the rabbi, you didn't pass the quiz. He didn't think that you could take on your yoke. He would say this, go and ply your trade and learn the family business. Go and have babies who may someday become rabbis. And because you, weren't, because you won't be studying to become a rabbi with me, go and follow your father. So then, now here's your background, moving into the New Testament, you have these four disciples who are fishermen, James, John, Peter, Andrew. They begin working with their father, Zebedee, well, James and John do, fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Presumably, Peter and Andrew had learned fishing the same way. They're apprenticing under their father. This would be imitation once again. Now I'm not imitating the rabbi. I'm imitating my father. I only do what I see my father doing. Even for Jesus, he learns the trade of being a carpenter. But for these disciples, most scholars think the disciples are, are you ready? Between 15 and 19 years old. High school boys! Change the world! That tells you that Jesus was definitely a God-man. <laughs> so these young men, probably Peter was in his early 20s. It looks like because he's the only one who pays a temple tax. That's just for you Bible nerds, right? So these high school boys, they're washouts from Beth Talmud, the second school. They didn't make it. They weren't the best of the best. Now they're learning their trade. They've heard from the rabbi, Go and ply your trade. Go and have babies that might, might someday grow up to be rabbis because you won't be a rabbi yourself. With that context in mind, I just think perhaps the disciples, when they hear follow me from Jesus, it looks a little different. So let's watch a little movie because it's so much fun. I'm gonna show you a little clip from The Chosen and I want you to keep this in mind when these four men are called to follow Jesus. Take a look. 
put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. Brother, and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me.
I will. You as well. Yes, you, James and John. Come, follow me. I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. Put that down for a catch. <laughs> uh, if you don't love Jesus, you will. So, I always read this as if, well, they had some prior knowledge of Jesus. Maybe they were watching him, which was probably true. But it always felt like, like zombies. It was like, okay, Jesus just called us. Now we're going to go ahead and go. No. He asks, come and follow me. You're chosen to follow me as a rabbi. That's why Zebedee's like, are you kidding me? Go. Are you going? Zebedee's stock in the city just went up. Your boys were chosen by a rabbi? Oh, he's like, yeah, my boys were chosen by a rabbi. That just happened. I had to get somebody else a fish. This is a big deal. That's why Jesus says in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. This is like, I was trying to think of a modern day equivalent. Let's say you played basketball in high school and you were actually pretty good. Maybe you even were like all conference. Uh, but since then, you never played in college. You just play at the gym with the guys, some pickup basketball. And Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, along with the general manager, Bob Myers, they walk into the gym and they watch you playing basketball. And they stop the game and they say, would you come and be on our team? We'll pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars to be on our team. And we're gonna surround you with the very best coaches so that you can become just like those other guys because we believe in you. We see what's in you. We believe you could be a star. How fast does that guy like grab his gym bag and get out the door? Really fast. Come and follow me, they say. And if you heard, come follow me from a rabbi, you would leave everything and follow him. Your new life would be with him. So, Jesus actually has confidence in these crazy fishermen that they can become like him. It's because of his faith in them that they respond so adamantly. Jesus has the same confidence in you. We're not any better qualified than the disciples. But Jesus has faith in you. That might make you feel uncomfortable. And because he has faith in us, he invites us to do what his father is doing. So John 5, let's turn there. We're just going to look at a few verses here. Jesus says these things after healing a man on the Sabbath. Now that was a no-no 
as far as the religious police, if you will. You can't heal on the Sabbath. That's working. Verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things, healing, on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to to this very day, and I too am working. Now the Jews all knew that God had to keep the world spinning on Sabbath. They weren't working, but they knew that God was always working to keep everybody alive during Sabbath. But in this case, Jesus is going to really push the issue in the next verse. Let's take a look at 18. For this reason, the Jews tried, to, tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he's even, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And yes, he was. Over and over in place after place, Jesus claims to be one with God. Even in this passage, I and the Father are one. Verse 19, then Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. How much is that? That's nothing. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. The next verse talks about how much God reveals all sorts of things to Jesus. So Jesus, if there was ever anyone who could do it on his own, it would be him, right? Like, I got this. I'm the God man. I could, I could just figure this out on my own. But he does nothing unless his father is already working. And he goes and joins the father in the work. So we're being invited by a rabbi. And if a rabbi is going to teach you, he's going to have you imitate him. Even Jesus' followers, like the Apostle Paul and others, say in their letters, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me. This, whether it was with a rabbi or your own father in an apprenticing trade, or in this case, in the church, it's all about imitation. That may be just a little reason why relationship is so important in the body of Christ. And even things like boot camp, where we give you a coach you get Jesus with skin on. An example, not a perfect example, but one who will love you and walk with you. That's so important to us. So we're being invited by Jesus into this relationship where we can do what he did. And that was look to see where God's working and join him in that work. So how would we join God in the work? How are we gonna figure this out? This seems so nebulous, Andrew. Glad you asked. Colossians 4. Paul just nutshells it for us so beautifully. We got to devote ourselves to prayer. We got to be a praying people. How do we do it? Being watchful and thankful. And then Paul goes on to say, and pray for us too, while you're doing that, that God's going to open a door for the message, that the gospel's going to go out. We can proclaim the mystery of Christ. There's that word mystery again, for which he's all locked up. So how do we see where God is working? I gave, I'm going to give you a couple bullet points. Some of you love bullet points. So here they are. First of all, pray. God, show me where you're at work. If you're at work, if you're at your actual employment, place of employment, Lord, where are you working? I want to join you in the work. Show me. Reveal it to me. If it's in your family, at home, on your block. 
Pray it. Ask God, where are you working? I want to join you in the work that you're already doing. I don't want to do my own thing. And then watch. Prayerful, prayer, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So here you are. You're watchful to see what happens next. You've got to make the connection between what you're praying and what happens next. When you're praying specifically for an opportunity to love, to serve, to give, whatever, to connect with someone, and all of a sudden they run across your path, you've got to make the connection. Oh, this might be the Lord. And then listen. Listen to the Lord. Listen to others. Hear what's really going. Listen twice as much as you speak. So that you can connect those dots and then be ready to make adjustments and join God in his work. I just nutshelled the entire experiencing God study in one slide. This is so important. This is part of the life of adventure that that when you see God working and you join him in that work, there's always blessing because God's doing it. If God's working, then we know we're good. We're not just freestyling. So what are some examples? Because it still might be unclear. I'm going to make it clear. So what if someone is seeking God? What if they're interested? They've got some questions about faith. They ask you a question about, you know, whether you're a Christian or not. You go to church. If someone is seeking God, John 6 tells us, John 6, 44, if you want to look it up, tells us that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Therefore, if the Father's drawing someone in, working there, if we join him in that work, we're going to be joining with what God's doing. So anytime you see someone who's interested in faith, that is your invitation. When you have that revelation, it is your invitation to begin joining God in the work. Not going, uh, I got to find somebody who knows more stuff. No one cares how much stuff you know. No one. No one's going to go, I don't know about Jesus. I don't know about this Jesus thing because you can't tell me why dinosaurs aren't in the Bible. No, that's not going to happen. That's what your concern or your fear is. But the truth is God's inviting us into relationship and he's inviting us to join him in the work that he's doing. And he always finishes what he starts. He who began a good work in you will finish it. Take it to completion even to the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1 says. He's a finishing God. There's a couple of neat verses in Isaiah too about God is a finishing God. I'll put those out online this week. So if someone's seeking God, no, it's God working. Join him. Great things will happen. Your life will be so exciting you won't even be able to stand it. Second, things that look like a coincidence. I don't think coincidence happens. I think God is always behind the scene working things out. When you see a coincidence, really keep your eyes open to see, God, what are you doing? How can I join you in the work you're doing? Let me give you an example. Um, We cast new vision for the church in uh, January of 2020, right before the world shut down in a pandemic. So timing was a little sketchy and weird, but One of the things I said from this stage and I read this detailed description about what what Jesus was going to lead us into, what we're going to do in the next 20 years, and there was all kinds of details. One of the details were someday, and I'm thinking someday, in the next 20 years, someday we're going to be a church that comes alongside one of the fields of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we're going to help to serve them and bless them. And it's kind of one of the things that 
like a field or an area would have a pastoral care church, a care, a church that would, would love on the international workers and send them gifts and do a couple events for them every year. And so I said, someday we're going to do that. Six days later, I got a phone call. Six, not five, not seven, six days. Get a phone call. Uh, Andrew, this is Tim. I'm the missions mobilizer for our district. And uh, we've got this team, this field in Berlin, and they're looking for a pastoral care team, care church. And I'm like, did you listen to my message this last week? Nope. Do you know that we've been praying and that we've got this in our, nope. So what, wait, why are you calling me? Well, I just started praying about it and I felt like the Lord highlighted your church. So I decided to call you. Coincidence? Man, I hope you guys can connect dots that well, right? And I'm like, I think we need to have a conversation. We need to figure some stuff out. Now, the pandemic has made it hard and we've been emailing back and forth and talking to these folks. We've done some Zooms, but I'm really excited to announce that we're gonna send a three-person team to Berlin later this month to get to know those missionaries and to try to figure out how to care for and love them and go through this process together. So, what was something on my heart that I think, I think this is you, God, but I don't know. I'm just going to put it out there. I didn't have to look very hard to see God go, oh, this is my heart. This is my will. I'm going to like, when things start coming together like that, you've got to begin to see where God might be working. So what looks like a coincidence and you've been praying, not a coincidence. Third, what about a need that matches up with something that you were ready to give away? You ever do that? I've got an old, you know, let's say, a, whatchamacallit, in the garage, and I got to get rid of that thing. And all of a sudden, across your radar, you hear, such and such really needs that. That's not a coincidence. That's God inviting you into a blessing opportunity. But I was going to sell it and make a couple bucks on Facebook Marketplace. It's not about that. Because it might be the conversation or the prayer that happens when you hand that thing off. That all of a sudden, then the Lord's in the midst of that. The thing is just a thing, but the moment matters because moments matter. And there are these moments where God intersects us for such a time as this in a divine moment where he wants to use us, where he wants us to give, love, and engage, led by the Holy Spirit in the moment, living emotionally present in the moment, loving the person in front of us. So if there's a need that matches up with something that's already in your hand, that's probably an invitation for God. But don't just give the stuff. Ask God, God, what else are you doing here so that I can join you in the work? What about a desperate situation? That's the fourth one that only God can solve. So I'm in the gym working out with this older gentleman and he's literally at the place of tears. This was a couple years ago. He says, We've had this freeze and I'm pretty sure I've lost my entire crop. And I don't know, he has like over 20 guys who work for him. I don't know how I'm gonna be able to provide for these families. And he's literally like at the point of tears. And I just get angry. I'm like, no, 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 no. The whole crop is not going to die. Those people are going to get their paychecks. We are gonna have Ammons this year. And you heard me say it, I said it right, I'm training you. So we began to pray. You probably know this story, but if you don't know this story, the church began to pray. The city began to pray. And guess what? The headlines read, record crop. No one said, 
what happened here? Gosh, those farmers must have been really smart to like find out uh, how to water their stuff. No one said anything about it because there was no explanation except for a good God who brought nutlets back from the dead. It doesn't work. The science doesn't work. But desperate opportunities like praying for rain. This is our best hour, church. When it rains more this winter and they can't figure out why, we're gonna go, yep. So that needs to be on your prayer list every single day. We want 150% of normal this year so that at least the farmers next year can plant 50% of their crops. That's what it's gonna take. I'm very passionate about praying for the weather. All right, I gotta wrap this up. So we're talking about doing what we see our father doing. So when we see God reveal something to us where he's working, that is our invitation to get moving. It's time to respond. It's not like, well, I think I need to pray about that a little bit longer. That's not the time to pray. You pray first and you wait, you watch. When you see God working, you move. That's your invitation to move. Christians were way too slow. So when he opens your eyes and you see where he's working, join him in the work. By the way, the clearer you are with a sense of your calling, it's the quicker you will know what God's inviting you into specifically. We have a, a tool called Focus Living, which is helpful for that. Talk more about that later. But being clear and clear on your calling, what your gifts are, what you bring to the table is important. But also sometimes God calls you to do something that's not in your sweet spot. So God takes initiative to involve us in the work that he's already doing. And like I said, he always follows through and follows up. So I want to pray for us that we'll step into a new place of faith to ask God to show us where he's working and engage because that's a life worth living. That's a life of purpose and meaning and excitement. Makes your heart beat fast because you gotta go, excuse me, um, I'm just kind of feeling like maybe the Lord's leading me to do this. If you don't want a life of adventure, please don't do this. If you want a boring life, run away from this as fast as possible. But if you wanna be used of God, if you wanna have purpose and meaning, if you wanna see God move, then look to see where he's working. So if you'd stand I just, uh, I feel like the Lord was showing me a few things earlier. I just want to um, just put them out there and, and pray for you. Um, I feel like there's someone who, by watching the miracle of the fish, like it's highlighted a lack in your life. And the Lord is going to start coming through for you in miraculous ways. Are you willing to step into a place of faith, wherever that place of lack is, that, that he's the same God who did that, he can do that for you. That was the first thing. Um, Sorry, I'm, I tried to keep these things in my head. I should have written them down. Well, I must not have needed to share them then. Thanks, Lord, for editing. Jesus, we pray for increased discernment. We pray that you would allow us to see past all of the distractions, all of the stuff that the world throws at us, and that we would see you, we would see you working. And Jesus, we really want to live like you. We want to only do what we see our Father doing. 
So help us to hear your voice. Help us to connect the dots, God, on where you're working so we could join you in what you're doing. Thank you that you've invited us into such an adventure. We want to live the adventure. We want to step into this place. And so help us to imitate you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, give us the strength. You're going to give us everything we need. We don't have to work any harder. We just have to surrender more. And so we choose to surrender more today and ask, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Start with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer folks, if you'd come down forward, we're gonna have prayer down here in the front, here in the house. If you're on the stream, thank you so much for joining us. We're just praying and a blessing over you right now and believing that God's gonna meet you right where you are. And we'll see you next week.